It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Hello and welcome to the True Penny Show. The fifth anniversary of the True Penny Show is this summer, 2019. We began back in 2014, and this show started with a gentleman named Ben Spindler, who joins me again now. How are you, sir? Hi, James. Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. I'm really good. I'm really uh, happy to be here, especially on the occasion of the fifth anniversary, uh, just like it was five years ago, the two of us uh, doing the podcast. Yeah, and I'd like to thank you very much before we start for producing and inventing this podcast and saying, you should do this because this would be really cool. And it has been one of the coolest things I've ever done. Well, you you might not be thanking me at the end of this podcast because I, I'll be honest with you. I, I'll be honest with you. I I am probably the least qualified person to talk about pro wrestling in 2019. Uh, I've got to be quite honest. Um, as 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 you as you know, you know, I've not um, I'm not up up on it like I was back in the day. Um, my it, it all fell out of favor a little bit with me um, after just just dedicating about two or three years of my life to it. Uh, I just thought I just can't do this anymore. So I, I still I still dip my toe, still occasionally see what's going on, and uh, you know listen out for things and and um, you know see what's going on. But but in truth, I I'm you know it'll be very quickly clear how poor uh, I have I have in terms of um, of keeping up with stuff. So that's a great disclaimer for you and the uh, and the listeners right off the bat there. I will point out for for those of you who listened to uh, this particular channel for a very long time, uh, you will obviously remember Ben from uh, Smarking Out podcast and obviously the Daily Squash. And there was only about four or five of us outside of your immediate family who knew how ridiculous your life was when you first started with WrestleTalk and how much time of your life was devoted to professional wrestling <laughs> for about three years. So I can completely understand why you dropped out the circle, as it were, for a while. Well, you know what the, the 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 biggest thing that was crazy was just the the was really the schedule of podcasts I was actually doing. I think in about eighteen months I did five hundred podcasts. I think I did um, <laughs> I did calculate at one point, and and it was just yeah, it was just too much. And I, and because I did that many, and because I was on the on the TV show, and because I was writing stuff and everything, I was trying to watch everything. I was trying to literally watch everything, and and it was just it was just too much. It was my own fault, really. Um, but you know, in truth. The thing is, what I'm really glad about, I mean, this is probably, to be honest, the True Penny Show is probably the thing I'm most happy about in terms of what came of that, because, you know, we're talking now five years after we started doing it. When when I first contacted you, I just, you know, I was looking for content because we were trying to put together a pay um, audio ch- um, podcast channel. Um, and I thought this was a great, the idea I had for the podcast was to make something a bit more niche because that there are so many people out there who are willing and want to talk about WWE, um, mm. but not that many people who want to talk about something else and, and exclusively about something else. They might want to occasionally talk about, I don't know, Wrestle Kingdom or the latest Impact pay-per-view, but most of them want to most of the time talk about WWE. You specifically didn't want to talk about WWE, <laughs> which is unfortunate for you because today I'm going to have to a little bit. But... Um, but that was that was the strength for me. And I was like, well, I need things that are quite niche because I need people to that's the kind of thing people are going to sign up and pay, you know, a little bit of money to actually listen to. Um mm. so that's so we kind of did something quite random, first of all, and just did a random thing each each week. And what I think's been amazing to to sort of to to observe from a distance is how you've taken that original kind of concept 
and you've you've taken it down i think the absolutely the correct route which is basically mainly now i think japanese pro wrestling i know you do other bits and pieces but i still i think that's the main um focus of the channel i think it's absolutely the right thing because i don't think there are that many other podcasts out there um covering japanese wrestling especially in new japan in the depth that you guys do um mm. and um and not only that but you have that authority based on you know decades now james let's not be just not let's not <laughs> be around the bush decades of experience you know um, yes analyzing and watching japanese pro wrestling so um you know for me it's 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 probably the probably the best thing to come of it in in truth and, and i'd probably probably if i'm honest the one thing that's still going um out of all the things i did back then so you know it's been it's, it's great to it's great to that it's still going it's great to um hear it when i when i listen to it and also is you know as i say, i'm very thankful for being asked to come back well say i thank you for coming back and we will always have you back whenever you want to come back then because you started us up and you got us kicked off and i think that i think you're right the we we didn't want to do the normal thing and as generally in my life i don't necessarily want to do the normal thing um and it's been nice to like it became like the search for people to hang out with on this show is basically the principle became like me and my mates talking about wrestling and what wrestling would we like to talk about this week and it kind of gravitated towards japan because yeah, that's the thing. That was the main alternative thing. And there's more and more, more and more alternative options now in pro wrestling. And that's kind of what we was going to talk about today, the state of the wrestling industry in 2019 compared to where we started in 2014 and things have moved on so much. Shall we go company by company or would you like to look at anything specific first? Well, I don't think, I, to be honest, I, I'm I'm going to try and speak as broadly as I can because I was thinking about this when you when you contacted me and I thought, you know, what has changed? And, I, I, and what I'm realizing, James, is you're going to be telling me that there are hundreds and thousands of things that have changed. Um, and I'm sure there are. But from a sort of macro perspective, the way I see it is that the more things change, the more they say the same. That's the cliche for me that stands out the most as being relevant <laughs> right now. Because I, when I look into to it now, and I, I'm, as I said, I'm looking at it a little bit from the outside. I'm, I'm, I keep abreast of what's going on, but I don't I don't watch an awful lot of stuff anymore. Um, I don't pay too much attention. I tend to dip in when there's something that really piques my interest. But if I look at it now, you know, first of all, in WWE, for example, there's still a debate about whether or not we need the part-time stars around. Um, around 2014, when we started this podcast, Brock Lesnar was WWE champion. He is WWE champion now and still and still has been. Um, we've there's been an obsession with the past that was definitely around in 2014 and is still there you know with the recent additions of eric bischoff and paul Heyman to the raw and smackdown teams and and of course goldberg making multiple returns and the undertaker making multiple multiple returns and triple h the same um seth rollins roman reigns are still the two you know main biggest stars in wwe i know there has been some additions the, the likes of aj styles and kevin owens in that time and these aren't recent additions but they are in terms of different to when we were when we started this podcast five years ago um but, but really the main event um the, the main event scene has not really changed that much in that time john cena and randy orton were starting to to fizzle away in that at that, at that point and now they are pretty much part-timers themselves we were also talking a lot about women's wrestling women's roles in wrestling um mm. back in 2014 
even though WWE has taken massive steps in terms of um, broadening the scope of what the women are actually doing and are capable of doing or allowed to do in WWE these days, there's still a conversation going on about whether or not they get enough t- uh, screen time, whether or not they're presented in the right way. And I think, you know, I, from what I've witnessed, they still aren't really being given the mm. platforms as often as they should be. And they're still not being treated equally in terms of um, being given the same amount of screen time and the production and the presentation of those wrestlers. We're still, there's still a big debate going on about sport, in ter- uh, sorry, ter- about wrestling in terms of whether or not it's a sport or it's a performance mm. art. And I, and I think that that's something that, you know, it's been going on for a very long time. We may have been talking about it in a slightly different way in 2014, but certainly that conversation is still being happen- is still happening. Um, in 2014, uh, you sort of four or five months before we started the podcast, the WWE Network launched, and we talked about how that was changing the business, and 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 certainly, um, you know, that's still probably the biggest driver for um, wrestling business that we are seeing at the moment, not just in WWE but across. You know, m- most now, most modern wrestling promotions have some kind of on-demand channel. Um, so, you know, lots and lots of things, even, for example, even the All Elite Wrestling stuff. Um, okay, yes, yeah, that's a big deal. It's, it's new. It's exciting. When we were first recording this podcast in 2014, TNA still wasn't quite the non-entity that it is right now. Um, <laughs> TNA was actually still reasonably considered to be a national player and um, still had quite a big amount of um, marquee talent. Um, I would say the size of AEW right now, but don't get me wrong, the the potential for AEW is massive and they've got a huge billionaire owner that can pump untold wealth into that company, which is what we've always said would take for anybody to even come close to um, competing with WWE. But it really, at the moment, in terms of its in terms of its reach, hasn't got much further than TNA, in my view. Um, mm. At least TNA back then. Um, so you know, as I say, things have happened and lots of things have changed, but really the themes are the same. Broadly speaking, twenty fourteen to twenty nineteen, I don't think the the industry has moved on that much, or at least uh, perhaps as much as it likes to think it has. No, no, I'd agree with you to an extent. I think that. The big themes, like you've just stated, are, are still the big issues we talk about, really, in, in pro wrestling today. The bigger issues of, like you say, equality, the bigger issues of how we deliver the business as a product. And you're right with AEW. I mean, I think the the advantage for AEW where they are now compared to Impact Wrestling is they're a much bigger live draw and a consistently better live draw than Impact were wrestling were doing in 2014 when they were struggling to get three or 400 at a baseball arena. Yeah. You know, the, 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 but you like, like you said, it's the devils in the details of AEW has a much better potential because there isn't, they aren't TNA. You know, there isn't that hangover of the, the people that didn't get hired by WWE when WCW closed and, you know, the, the rottenness that Impact Wrestling's had to kind of get rid of successfully, I would say, in the last couple of years, but also they've kind of got their own rottenness. <laughs> yeah, now, yeah. Uh, which is which is more problematic i think in the long term but equally they are their own company and they've got a very set identity and they are very different but they have no chance of being a national player with their current strategy whereas AEW definitely does um and i think you know bring of honor are still kind of like the third place player they had a 
a, a stretch there for about three years where they could have easily been the, like the next big thing if everything had clicked into the right places. But as usual with Ring of Honor, steady as she goes, they get slightly bigger each year, but they're never going to be, you know, I don't think that style of wrestling can actually make it internationally. It's, it's, I think it's kind of reached the envelope of where it can be, but I don't think it can be any bigger than it is. But again, these are the conversations we were having in 2015, 2014. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, that's that's exactly it. And there, you know, that that's why I'm saying I, I don't really feel like things have moved on that much. And, and don't get me wrong, there are obviously new stars and there are new promotions. And how we've had in the five years that this podcast has been going, we've had a whole British wrestling boom. It's come yeah. and gone. That's the that's the crazy thing. Or <laughs> some some would argue that it's gone anyway. Um, you know, so and certainly the number of promotions in in Britain, for example, is is reduced tr- dramatically in those five years. I, I, know, I know that in 2014, you know, at one point I could list or name, you know, a good 30 or 40 British wrestling promotions. Now I'd struggle to. Um, that might be as much to do with the fact that I'm not as into it as I used to be. But um, but it feels like that British wrestling's definitely, if it if it's not cooled off, then it's definitely simmering down a little. Um, no. Should we talk about Britain in a minute or two, or do you want to keep going for yeah. a second? No, no, okay. I mean, no, yeah, talk to, you talk, yeah, we talk about, about that in a minute, yeah, absolutely. But I, I, I guess it was just another example of where, you know, for me, things have, we've almost gone full circle. So if I'm comparing 2014 to 2019, I'd say mm. the British, British wrestling industry is slightly higher than it was then, but most of that is in some way controlled or owned by WWE now. Um, yeah. Whereas back then it was much more independent. And so in, in many respects, we aren't really that much different in that it's slightly bigger, but there's less of it in terms of being owned by British people with, with, a, with their own kind of vision. Um, and and there's other things that have come full circle. Like, for example, another thing that, about TNA that we were talking about in 2014 was the fact that this, this concept of wrestling promotions as solely a television product mm-hmm. um, TNA were kind of basically becoming that uh, when we started this podcast. Lucha Underground was just emerging at that point. It doesn't feel like that's really taken off to any any meaningful extent. Um, you know, they've they've sort of they've tried, but it hasn't really worked. And in the meantime, AEW's come along, and as you say, they've got a, a much more vibrant um, live live kind of attendance kind of um, income stream. Yeah, which is in which is again is 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 in contra- contrast to, to TNA at, at that point and and certainly Lucha Underground. So it just yeah, as I say, it, it feels like if there is if the, the the sort of more general themes, if they have changed, they've they've sort of come and gone all in one in that five year cycle, and we're kind of almost back to where we were. That's it. Yeah. I think yeah, I mean, I can certainly agree with you on that. We did have we did have long conversations on this podcast about uh the idea of wrestling as a tv product and as a tv show and certainly lucha underground i I believe i did say i think we had the conversation where i said i think lucha underground is the future of television wrestling and you said i think it's the thing that happens before the future of television wrestling Mm -hmm. and i think we are both right to an extent but i think that you know now that lucha's come and gone it did an awful lot of things. It made Pentagon a star. It made Phoenix a star. Get more soon, Phoenix and Curtis, like you last night. But you know, it, it made these wrestlers who no one really would have looked at twice because they wouldn't have got out of like Tijuana in in 2014. Um, but it made people stars who really weren't ever going to be stars in North America. But because of 
Lucha Underground, they became draws on the independent circuit. They pick up shows at AEW. They pick up shows in the Texas border towns where they can afford to bring them in cheaply. And then all of a sudden, there's WrestleMania weekend. They make a big splash, and then everybody wants them. So, mm. you know, because... Um, uh, and it doesn't work for everybody because, like, Drago and Aerostar haven't quite clicked. But I think Pentagon Jr. and Phoenix have a more transferable charisma and style that means they can click anywhere they go. Um, which is the age-old story of pro wrestling, isn't it? But yeah. um, I think the Lucha Underground has done an awful lot for wrestling in making people think about it through a different lens. Mike Quackenbush talks about this a lot, looking through the, looking through the pro wrestling through the lens of a science fiction show like Lucha Underground or through the lens of a television drama, even like Glow, which isn't a wrestling show. It's a show about wrestling, but it still has those elements that make it look at a wrestling in a different way. Yeah. I think I've, I think Lucha Underground has proven that that can work, and we're going to see lots of different variations on how that's going to work. But the traditional kind of like Memphis-style TV taping on a Saturday morning show will still work, will always work because it's cheap. <laughs> <laughs> and it fills hours, which is what NXT has been doing. They effectively do the same thing that Memphis were doing in the 1980s, tape a show and release it over a period of weeks and do a house show circuit, which isn't particularly lucrative, but it's really just there to develop talent. But, you know, NXT is probably the closest thing we actually have to that, still doing that. I mean, in, in Impact does it, but to a far less uh, success rate, shall we say. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think for me personally, in the last five years, the thing that's changed most about my view of wrestling, aside from the fact that I'm not really watching much of it, is that is what you talked about with Mike Quackenbush, actually. So I think five years mm. ago, I would have said that those, those things are, are ridiculous. Uh, the idea that you could, you know, for me, the the I very much saw wrestling as it should be always presented as a sport, even if you have crazy characters and 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 whatnot. Um, it, it, you know, filling in that kind of universe, you should stick to the concept that this is a sport and that it's real and never stray from that. And if you if you try and insert science fiction or time travel or whatever into, you know, um, into that, then you know it doesn't it's not going to work i think where i've changed is that actually i don't really feel the same way anymore i don't really feel like you always have to present pro wrestling as being real but i also still strongly believe that you always have to present the product that you're creating as being as 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 being real in the sense that you want people to while they're watching it buy into it so i'm not necessarily yeah. saying you know, you don't, you want, you want to, when you're off screen, you want to continue to argue with people that it's real or whatever. But mm. I do feel very strongly that when you present a show, you don't want to make it, you don't want to make it meta. It, that's the biggest problem I, if I've yeah. ever, in that respect, I don't, I don't want to know how you're making it while you're making it. I don't want to know that, I don't want you to break character in the middle of it to tell me something, mm. you know, and, and equally, I don't want your storylines to, to kind of start off as being as though it's the scripted part of the show, then veer into real life and then mm. try and blur that reality because that's, that's ridiculous. And, and it, it, I think I, I, I'm terrible at, at um, uh, articulating this these days, but just that the, the sense that if you were watching the, a program of the time and suddenly the storyline between two characters started to become about the actors rather than the characters I'd, i i would struggle with that a lot so but i but i think what i've been informed by in many respects is 
one of the things I hadn't watched prior to us starting this podcast was Chikara, and I watched quite a bit of mm. that a few years ago. And actually, I realized that you can do it. You can do it. Uh, you can make pro wrestling a bit funny so long as you create those rules of the universe that you're yeah. you're creating yeah. um, and you don't break those rules. Same way as Marvel don't break the rules of the superheroes that are in their movies. It's not like all of a sudden Iron Man becomes Robert Downey Jr. Um, <laughs> but you still have people flying. They still have superpowers and they can still do all these things. I think wrestling can be the same, but they, but they still need to have that kind of commitment to the narrative and the story and the universe that they've created when they're doing it. Yeah, I was I was talking on Twitter with Jay Bradley the other day, and there isn't much more of a traditional way to have a wrestler than Jay Bradley. And he, I, because the Memphis wrestling account, which is about as traditional as wrestling accounts get on Twitter, he was saying like, "What do you want from a wrestling promotion? What's what is the key things?" And Jay listed his things that he wanted, and I said, "I'd agree with you," because he said, "Keep it like you know within the bounds of reality and do things." And I said. But if you have a universe, set your universe. If you are about it being athletic, then make it look like a sports event. If you have a rubber poop monster, then make us believe in the rubber poop monster. If you set that universe, you don't have to worry about these things. And Jay agreed with me. He said that, exactly, I don't want to be taken out of the moment when I'm watching a show. If it's yeah. if you've got me believing in this rubber poop monster, then go rubber poop monster. That's what it should be about. you know. And I think... I think that's still is the best wrestling. The things that don't take you out of the moment, you know. I the wrestling that I've watched in the last five years, the best stuff is always when you're there on the edge of your seat. Like, you know, we've watched the G1 for the last month, and I'm still on the edge of my seat for wrestling after a month of watching some of the best matches you'll ever see, and I'm still getting hooked in because the universe is set. The expectations are there for it to be good. Well, I think that's it. These conversations about what wrestling is and what it should be have been going on for a very long time. They certainly were going on 2014. But the conversation always seems to come down to what it's come down, coming down to now, which is still Joey Ryan versus Jim Cornette, ultimately, and their two <laughs> individual takes on pro wrestling and what wrestling is and what it shouldn't, should be and shouldn't be. And for me, neither of those positions are quite right. Neither of the positions are, 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 we're still no. not talking in terms of absolutely what you just said, which is don't take me out of the moment. You create the, you create the universe that you put together and stick to it. Don't, don't be, you know, have a fidelity to the storyline that you've created um, and, and, the, and the universe that you've created for the people to watch. Because if they think that what they're watching now is not going to mean anything in three months time, they won't watch it and they won't they certainly mm. won't invest any emotion in it and an emotion is still the most important part of pro wrestling and, and always will be it's, say, it's the most important part in any sport or entertainment anywhere in the world if you don't have that emotional investment in it you're not gonna it, it's not gonna work so you know for me that's the part that we we ought to be kind of that's where we ought to be kind of arguing for it but it feels like again that conversation just boils down to joe ryan doing his his dick move and jim Cornette not liking it and as i said neither of those positions are quite where we should be i think, I think the, the classic argument from last week was like Cornette fell out with jordan grace over the fact she wanted, she wanted the debate she didn't even say that should we consider what we do performance or a sport she said debate she didn't even say we are performers she didn't even like bring that up she was just saying like i want to talk about this what do we what do we talk about he said i am erring towards performer and of course Cornette goes off on one about it 
But Jordan Grace did point out, I said, right, now you're looking at my Twitter account because Jim Connect's giving me this massive megaphone. Please go buy some stuff for my appeal towards classroom teachers who are having a hard time at the moment. <laughs> very good. Yeah, <laughs> was, very good. Which is yeah. exactly what I think she should have done. Yeah, and that's it. I just, and to be honest, whether it's a sport or performance art, I don't, I don't really care what I, what I just don't want them to mm. do. Because take either of those two things. If it was a performance art, then when you're, as you said, when you're watching a film or you're, you know, I, I don't know, even even listening to a song, it's not like in the middle of the song, you know, the 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 artist starts to talk about how they made that thing. Um, yeah. It doesn't, it's because it, you it, it take takes you out of the moment. It's not, it doesn't make sense. Um, so if it's a performance art, you would never be taken out of the moment. If it's a sport, there's a fidelity to competition. You know, the Premier League don't come along and say, okay, well, um, it's, Everton versus Man City, but Liverpool are going to are going to interrupt the match. <laughs> like they don't do that. So, like whether it's a sport or performance art, it's still sticking to. It's still got a fidelity to that kind of a loyalty almost to that the narrative that you've put before people, and and whether and whether that's a sporting narrative or a dramatic narrative or even a comedy narrative, you still you stick to it and you you know and don't and don't. Um, and, and don't break it because otherwise you break the emotion that people are, have invested in it and therefore it's worthless it's not going to be of any value to anybody anymore yeah. meet your genre expectations mark Kermo, the film reviewer talks about that all the time he's given glowing reviews to terrible movies because they met genre expectations he went in sure. and saw what he's expecting to see he wasn't misled by the poster or anything else he well, this is going to be a big Guns and Cars movie, and it was a big Guns and Cars movie. So, on a certain level, it's done what it's supposed to do, yeah. and that's what you need to do with wrestling matches. You can't have New Japan can't go too far off the script of what New Japan do in the same way Shikara can't go too far off the script of what Shikara do. It's what is the genre expectations that those fans have for that particular product, and that's the way it should be. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. So, shall we talk about the UK scene? Because that back in 2015 was really when things started to cook and uh, me and you and the, the wrestle talk kind of universe was very much into the growth of the uk scene and uh there was a lot of journalists who were trying to grow what the uk scene was about and it certainly did grow in five years and there was numerous ways of going about it that were controversial at the time we could probably have a chat about those people because we had conversations about that well, what do you think actually kind of lit the touch paper? Was it just this golden generation of workers we have or people put money in the right place at the right time or people in pro in embracing different approaches? What do you think kind of gave this big boost to the industry? I think it was, I think there was all kinds of things, you know, I don't think it was any one thing. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I think, first of all, the talent, yes, huge amounts of talent on this island and now most of them or lots of them anyway, are out there in various different promotions working at the very highest levels of the sport, which is, or, the, <laughs> or the industry, I should say. Um, I don't want to get into that again. Um, so, you know, uh, so clearly there was huge amounts of talent out there, um, but that was only really possible because there were so many places to work. Uh, those people became great wrestlers because they were working so regularly to the point where I think, I, I don't I can't remember who it was I was speaking to, but somebody was telling me how, you know, there basically was so many more places to work in the UK than any similarly um, located geographic area, if you like. So the same yeah. area of land as the UK, the size of it, um, there just were so many promotions packed into such a small space that if you were one of the top workers, you could work three times a weekend. 
um, which is very rare compared to the to the American indie scene um, and, and and lots of other places. Possibly not as rare, maybe not quite so rare in Japan, for example. But certainly, um, the UK had this incredible kind of um, concentration of places to go and work every single week. Um, I tried to make a list once, I remember, in like 2014, 2015. I tried to make a list of all the wrestling promotions, not only the ones I knew, but the ones I I could find elsewhere on the internet. And I think I got up to about 200 and stopped. I was like, this is incredible. There are just so mm. many. Every single town seemed to have their own wrestling promotion at one point. And, um, and you know, as I say, you, you could go to any one of those places and any given night see, you know, 10, 12 wrestlers, applying their trade, a couple of which you may recognize from shows elsewhere in the country. So that was another big thing, was just the number of, of places to go and work. Um, I also think, and, you know, I, I think there were sort of two branding, um, sort of two brands, basically, that really kind of permeated the 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 surface one of them was ICW and the and the mm. fact that they got themselves a documentary on on BBC in 2014 which was actually quite a big deal with Grado um, kind of getting a huge amount of um, exposure out there in the mainstream and then the I think the razor sharp perfection of the branding that Progress came up mm. with um, and, and you know I I don't you know I, I've got I've got some kind of i've got i've got opinions on progress but in terms of their branding there was they were second to none there's n i've never seen a wrestling promotion even i would even argue ecw is not was never branded as well as no. progress progress yeah. then had the best branding of any wrestling promotion i've ever seen and um and so all those things came together along with you know little bits and pieces elsewhere like even tna's um even tna's kind of uh presence on uk tv um actually did a really big job mm. in, in terms of that because forget the the british stuff that they tried to do just tna being tna for you know a good four or five years on challenge they had huge audiences on challenge the biggest audiences the challenge got you know they were i think at one point they were getting 240 250,000 people regularly on on a, on a sunday night which was a good 50 to 100,000 viewers more than any other show on the channel um mm. and it was on free television which of course wwe never has been because raw and smackdown has always been on sky sports so that was another factor i think in it and 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 i'd even argue and this might sound a little bit biased about even argue that wrestle talk being on tv had a, a small extra little help to that because you know not many people had heard of jimmy havoc for example before wrestle talk yeah. had on in early 2013 maybe even tw late 2012 uh, i believe that marty Skrull was on wrestle talk tv in, 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 as a guest at some point when joel ross was still the was still the presenter when I wasn't even involved in it. So I'm not, I'm not trying to take any credit myself. Um, yeah. There were lots of people that were introduced via that kind of medium. And then later on, when they started to have actual wrestling matches on that show too, that was, they were also people that perhaps had not been seen ever on television before. So, you know, all those things and, and more, you know, and, and more than that. And I, you know, I couldn't put my finger on every single one of them, but all those things were massive contrib contributing factors to um, why it exploded. It just seemed to be a perfect 
mix of different things taking place and, and it just went through the roof. I was thinking about back about those BWC shows and you're thinking about like Noam Dar versus Ligero, both work for WWE now and yeah. uh, Zack Sabre Jr. was on those shows, so was Will Ospreay versus uh, Zach Gibson was one of the big matches that was, was really put like, you know, front and centre on that show and it's like they're two of the best wrestlers Britain's ever produced. I mean, and of course you have the build up to kind of like the ITV and the return of world of sport wrestling and um, as well, that kind of like really gave it everything a boost. And I think it was interesting. I, one of the things I did want to come back to, because we did mention this about King of Trios when we was doing a preview for King of Trios, more or less five years ago, um, some of the wrestlers involved in that show were Pete Dunne, uh, Mark Andrews, uh, I'm trying to think of anybody else, but there was a couple of guys who were a, a part of that show Mm. Um, um, no fun place. The other Dunn brothers, name escapes me. <laughs> Damien, Damien Dunn. Damien Dunn. Yeah, he was on that show as well. And the, the controversy at the time was that Shikara only paid them appearance money. They had to pay for their own flights and hotels yeah. to go on the show. And there was, quite rightly, in some cases, a controversy that a lot of British older pros were not happy about that because um, that was seen as you know, cheapening their position in American promotions if they were to be taken over there, which was a perfectly viable case to, to create, say, Port and Doug Williams talked a lot about that uh, in similar cases in Japan where, you know, he used to work for Noah and if someone goes and works for someone else cheaper, then why are Noah going to pay him the same amount of money? Yeah, which I think is a reasonable thing to say. Mm. But equally, the same thing happened when WWUK was started. There was a rumor about you know they call them mark contracts you know these aren't real proper contracts you're not going to get a good pay from that but someone like pete dunn and mark andrews um and tyler bay uh, they signed those contracts they took that risk and now they are arguably the next big thing for wwe should wwe bring them up to the full roster and pull the trigger so you know the, there's been a long-term investment from wwe in the uk scene in that sense but also there was a lot of forward thinking from some very young workers because you think about how young Pete Dunne was when he went to Shikara and how long Tyler Bate was 17 when he made his Shikara debut in America. So, yeah, there's been some forward thinking, hasn't there, as well? Yeah, no, I think that's a very, very good point, actually. And, um, you know, I remember I had I did an interview, and I don't think it's ever aired, and I don't think it's ever been shown to anybody, but I did an interview with Mark Andrews. I did one that was on WrestleTalk TV, but I did another one, which was like a 45-minute type interview, which was going to be released on the website as a kind of one of the things that, because you could sign, off, sign up on the website at one point and, uh, you know, pay a certain subscription fee and there would be extra content, and it was, uh, it was recorded for that. And it was, it was... And it was just one of the best interviews I ever kind of did because it was Mark Andrews talked quite openly about a lot of things that um, that had frustrated him um, in his early when he first started in his career. You know, for example, I think one of the, one of his early shows, um, he took along some merch to sell. Mm. This was this was would have been you know twenty twelve probably, but maybe even earlier than that. But he took along his own merch to sell um, and um, was told, you know, what you do it. Like you, you, nobody knows who you are. Why, why, you know, how, why are you selling this merch? But he, it was just a way for him to generate more income for himself. <clears throat> and um, and he, and he had lots of other things he was talking about his ring style. He was talking about all kinds of things that that he had done quite early in his career and been told that was the wrong thing to do. And I think one of them was flying himself out to 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 I think to America and 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 um, and working. And he said he he you know, he wasn't just going for one show. He was going for a number of different indie shows in one sort of 
one sort of tour of America almost. Um, and he had the chance to go do that, but he had to pay for himself to get across. Um, and yeah, there was a big debate at the time, but it, but it was, it, you're right. That was another big thing that the, the a sort of generation of workers who decided actually, you know what, I'm not just going to live by the same rules that these guys have lived by for a long time, because really and truthfully, that hasn't really moved the needle in any kind of way. Doing something different is the only thing that will. And, and you're absolutely right. They, they did that and they um, stepped up really. And now look at them there. They're all able to, they're actually known to audiences across the world, not just a few people in, in Britain, which is certainly the way it was at one point. Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting to me because I hear so many stories about the US Indies where the opposite is true, where like someone will say, look, I'm not going to, I think someone said on, like, pronounce it on Twitter, I'm just not going to say the promoter, but I was asked to go do a show this weekend for like $50 that was 800 miles away mm. and I'm not going to spend the money. And then other wrestlers chimed in, well, when I was a youngster, I did, and it's like, yeah, but that's your fault for, <laughs> for taking a job you should have been paid less for. I think there's, I, it's there's a difference here, isn't there? Like you know, Mark Andrews or any of those guys flying out to the states to make themselves a bigger name, and it worked, as opposed to denigrating your value and not knowing your value. Mark obviously knew his own value. There's a value to me going to working in the states for a month, but there isn't necessarily a value of doing a spot show 800 miles from home for fifty dollars. Well, I, I mean, that's... well, I mean, I do, I do agree, but I also would say to you that you know, when Mark Andrews was doing those, was doing that, and was flying himself out there. I, I know because I, I heard a couple of people talking about it. I won't say who it was, but I mm. know what the kind of sort of nightly rate for even the most popular wrestlers in sort of 2014, 2015 was. And believe me, it was well below their worth. Don't get mm. me wrong. It wasn't well below what the promote wasn't well below what the promotions could afford because they couldn't really afford much more. But yeah. in terms of what they were worth, and in terms of the the traveling time and the the just the um, kind of the labor of, of doing that show, it mm. was nothing. It was nothing. And I was just like, that's that's crazy. That that is what needed to change about the British wrestling scene. And I think mm. some of the bigger wrestling promotions managed to make that happen at one point. Um, mm. I don't know if they still are, but um, but certainly, you know, they weren't really making what they were worth. So, you know, for me, it's it's basically everybody to them to their own. Um, there's a very strong argument to be made that as a kind of a brotherhood of pro wrestlers or any industry for that matter, you shouldn't be doing unpaid work because you undercut people who are trying to make a living from it. But at the same time. Nobody really was making a, that good a living from British <laughs> wrestling. So in some way, someone's going to make those opportunities. And, and certainly there are now a number of individuals who who, who came from, from the UK who are now applying their trade full time as pro wrestlers. So ultimately, who was right and who was wrong, I think, I think is clear. Yeah, I mean, you get to the point where you've got guys like David Starr moved to the UK because he was earning... He was doing more shows here, so what was the point of living anywhere else? El Fantasma moved from the Canada to the UK because Rev Pro was his home base and he was earning more money here. They've moved back now because they have uh, commitments elsewhere. But yeah, there's there's a lot to be said for like how quickly the British industry came up. And I think, I mean, we we talk about like the, the buzzword of the summer has been the death of the UK industry since WWE UK tightened up on their contracts and are not allowing as many people to go do as many shows mm. but equally i went to manchester uh, to watch the sendai girls show with um the wwe uk heavy women's champion in the main event 
there was five, I think it was four or five other women on that show. You know, now Mako Satamore and Sendai Girls is a WWE approved company to work with, but it isn't, you know, uh, and Future Shock Art to an extent, they're kind of like, you know, they're not in the same level as Progress or ICW, but they're trusted people to put on a good show and, you know, they will look after their WWE stars. Um, but I think, you know, I don't necessarily think this is a bad thing because the next generation after this golden generation has to like step up. They have to have a moment in the sun. You know, even people like Chris Ridgway is going to work for Noah because, you know, they've given him an opportunity. He's going to go take it. So you've got to get that next level of people to move up. And the only way that was going to happen was if the top level moved didn't move on. You know, if they stayed put, like happened in the British wrestling scene in the 1970s and the 1980s, and that's the reason, one of the reasons why it stopped being on television, because there wasn't enough turnover at people at the top, it isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I don't think people are quite seeing that yet. Well, I, I, I do agree, but I also think that the, the pace of which it happened made it yeah. quite a difficult thing. I mean, at, at one point... You know, and, and I don't know, I don't really know what the hell's going on with uh, World of Sport anymore and if it's even a thing or what. Um, but at one point you had a kind of legion of guys that went to do World of Sport and at the same time a legion of guys who went to do the WWE NXT, um, NXT UK stuff. And and suddenly, wow, suddenly there's this vacuum of kind of of people that, that potentially weren't able to work as often or, in, or instead wanted more money because now they were like, about TV exposure. Where's my, where's my extra pay? So it wasn't even mm. necessarily about their availability. It was now about actually just being able to afford. Them. Um, so, so I think that was, that was quite difficult, but I think the other thing about the death of Brit rest kind of thing that's been going on this summer has also been down to just the sense that there, the, the, the wheels are coming off a little bit, you know, I know mm. that um, obviously um, first of all, IPW UK was was taken over or was bought by somebody else. When, I, in fact, I think it's been bought twice in the last couple of years, from what I can tell. Um, mm. It's changed hands a couple of times, and that was always kind of like one of the stalwarts of the of the British scene. Uh, Jim Smallman's obviously walking away from Progress at the end of the year. Um, I think the local promotion here in Bristol Chaos is ending next year, like February time next year, which is mm. a, a, a big shame for me, and I I, I feel bad because I haven't been to see. Um, any shows for a long while but but they were really good when I when I was going to them and I understand this they've kept that kind of same level up um you know we, we the the I think there's been the, the defiant wrestling that was obviously what culture pro wrestling is 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 ending or has ended I don't know if it's actually ended or so there is a sense that a lot of the bigger names certainly defiant pro progress etc and IPW there's things that are changing and that feel like they are precursors to perhaps um, a downturn or there's a, it almost feels like there's a reason behind it all. And the only reason really, I think is that, you know, a lot of these guys are now five years in <laughs> um, mm. some of some are more than five years in and they're like, I want to go to just do something else with my life now. But it feels like mm. because it's all come at the same sort of time, it feels a bit more significant than that. It probably isn't that significant or isn't as significant as people think. But I think uh -huh. my only, my, my real concern, James, is if WWE turn around and go, well, they they sort of realise that the UK scene's kind of cooled down a bit and then go, mm. well, we're not really that interested in our NXT UK thing anymore. That would be yeah. when I, where I'm concerned. I, hmm, I don't think they will be for a while because I think the, the major concern is locking down talent at the moment. Um, and I think that some on Twitter called it the other day, their warehouse. <laughs> they will be yeah. put in a warehouse of toys and played with at a future date. 
um i think there is that is that kind of like sense of warehousing at the moment because wwe are kind of going into battle mode as far as AEW is concerned i don't see why necessarily because it's not really the same kind of thing but it's this what they do um, yeah, so they always do this don't they we we yeah. know they do this you know i remember being like people laughing at me because i said that um the only reason uh, uh, wwe are doing their own uk show is because world of sport exists and it's like, yeah. no, it doesn't matter how little of a threat they are wwe are not interested in even the hint of a threat existing um you know there was a time when the nxt first started get, getting going they were putting their big shows up against Ring of Honor shows in similar markets and similar towns at the same time. Uh, that mm. was that wasn't an accident. Let's let's not let's not pretend that wasn't a, that was no way an accident. That was WWE trying to essentially make curb any chance of there being a a competitor of any kind, no matter how unlikely that is. I think ICW had the SECC and in the same night or two. Or WWE booked it the week before to kind of like spoil their draw, and then within three months they were working together. Yeah, and they and they had. Uh, I think I understand that also that ICW. Um, I think it was basically the launch of their own on-demand service, ICW, mm. and then suddenly the WWE Network in the UK was going to be available essentially the same weekend. Um, yeah. And it had been put off and put off and put off until suddenly ICW announced that, and then suddenly WWE came out with their NXT offering in, uh, sorry, their network offering in the UK for the first time. So these things are not coincidental. WWE have a global view of the of the business, and they are they use that to ensure that nothing comes out, you know, gets out of its lane, gets bigger than it should in their mind should do. Yeah, I mean they're quite happy to let Ring of Honor tootle along at their own pace. If Ring, of Honor, if Ring of Honor could have done the garden by themselves, they'd be concerned. There was yeah. no way Honor would do the garden by themselves, and it was such a calamitous affair on their side of things. It was not a good idea. But yeah, if, if Ring of Honor could have done the garden by themselves, then there would be a load of shows with big names in the tri-state area, because that's Ring of Honor's at-home turf, and they would have like really gone to town. However, because... Ring of Honor are all right. Never, they're never brilliant. They're never awful. They plod along nicely, and they've had some great matches this year. And you know, Matt Taven's not an awful Ring of Honor champion. I think my school would have been a better choice, but that's my personal taste. You know, they they do okay. So WWE aren't really concerned about them, and they'll quite happily take Matt Taven in two years' time when he's matured into a main event player that they can use. So sure. you know, oh, if Matt Taven is is of such a will to go that way. You know, so um, that's that's kind of like they don't want to necessarily shut down everybody because where they're going to get guys from um, or, you know, create buzz from because um, they've tried it, like just recruiting high school football players and college football players that don't make it to the NFL. And it doesn't necessarily work because you've got a high attrition rate there, whereas wrestlers actually want to be wrestlers, which is something they seem to forget about for a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, sure. Yeah. So we'll we'll see what happens there. But one place. WWE is yet to crack, and there is rumors, and there are things that you know local affiliates might be Noah, for instance, and Sendai Girls in Japan. But New Japan seems to be taking its steady march into the US market very seriously. The G1 Climax Finals tournament started in Dallas this year. They had the big shows at the Cow Palace last year. Um, obviously, Madison Square Garden showing the event with Ring of Honor and a little bit of the NWA. What are your thoughts on this particular 
company at the moment, how their growth strategy is going. And do you, I think they've pretty much got the Japanese market locked up, probably a lot of the Far East. But do you think they can keep making inroads to the US in this kind of steady forward, ever go forward kind of uh, approach that they're taking? I, I, I don't know. I think that I think where they are now is probably where they will be. Um, I don't really see it as going much further just because I think what this this is as a consequence of is the fact that we now have the technology that allows us to watch anywhere in the world any wrestling promotion. And New Japan being New Japan with the humongous reputation they've got and the size in terms of commercial size of the of the business, um, we're always best placed to be the logical kind of next best or the 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 alternative to wwe if you like um because of those two factors and so when that when the world was opened up to everybody new japan was best place to do that um but i i i feel like the AEW thing is gonna kind of hurt them somewhat um Mm. it just feels like another competitor using you know obviously a lot of guys that made their name or you know made a big name for themselves in japan um, in New Japan itself, um, mm. so I just I just feel like this is this is their ceiling, and I don't think that's a bad thing. It's not like I don't really feel like, you know, as you say, they've got they've got the Far East locked up, and WWE have tried to make inroads into that market themselves, and haven't really done that all that well. You know, the, I think that was the whole idea, you know, in my mind behind signing Kenta back in mm. 2014 when we first started doing this podcast. Um, He's gone, exactly. <laughs> he's gone full circle and he's back in Japan now. Um, you know, it was the main reason why I think, that, well, one of the main reasons they signed Asuka at the time. Um, mm. And it was probably the main reason why they raided New Japan and got AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura, um, you know, Anderson and Gallows as well back in, what was it, 2016? Um, yeah. So, you know, and, and it hasn't really helped. It hasn't really done anything for them as far as I can tell. It doesn't seem like they've increase their market share there so you know i think at the moment that feels like the the natural order of things that new japan are the big promotion in japan wwe are the major player in obviously in the rest of the world and probably that will continue i i don't i mean what do you think do you think they're gonna they're gonna expand further I think that I think a lot of it rests on where they're gonna go next obviously they've got the copper box show next weekend in London, and they start. This is the kind of like they've made inroads with Rev Pro. They had a tour last year that was supposed to be a New Japan show, but it was really a Rev Pro show. Uh, whereas this is a proper New Japan card from the Copper Box. And if they do well, which I can't see them not doing, Zack Sabre Jr. and Tanahashi for the Rev Pro Championship, Okada and Suzuki for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, it should be a great show. And I think they can be, they can come back every year and build like they have done in the States. You know, I think doing the Cow Palace, they've done Madison Square Garden. They've hit all these iconic spots that wrestling fans know about. And I think they've gone about it with the right strategy. They're the wrestling company. You yeah. know, they associate themselves with Jim Ross and to Josh Barnett, which is kind of like old school wrestling, but that's kind of what they needed to do to start with, with their Access TV show. They've moved that on to Chris Charlton and Kevin Kelly and uh, Rocky Romero now we're doing the commentary for Access, and that's kind of like giving them a different lilt to what their their commentary is like. So it's kind of attracting new crowd, but they'll have kept the same fans for Access show. 
I think New Japan's doing the right things at the right time, like they tend to do. I think it has slowed down a little bit. I think, you know, but also I think as well, they've had a realization that they're not, they're the reason why people like them is because they're not like a wrestling, regular wrestling company. You know, um, for a long while, you look at their American shows and it was Kenny versus Kota or Cody versus Kenny. And it was the North American wrestlers who were main eventing the Japanese shows. Mm. And a lot of people were going to New Japan shows. They wanted to see Tanahashi. They wanted to see Okada. They wanted to see Nato. Yeah, it wasn't no knock on Kenny and Cody or Juice Robinson even or Dave Finley or whoever was in those main events. But it's New Japan Pro Wrestling. You want to go see New Japan guys do New Japan things. You know, and that was no knock on the efforts they put in, and they were great cards, and it helped build that audience. But I think you know, the the G1 show, the first one in Dallas, was headlined by Tanahashi versus Okada, which is the signature match of New Japan Pro Wrestling of the last 15 years. And that was the right, that's the match they should have started with, in my opinion, the first time they went to North America. But they did it at the right time, and it was a good thing to build the draw for that Dallas show. And I think that's what they're going to do. I think they're just going to steadily keep chipping away. They've effectively got a keyhole on the West Coast in Long Beach and in San Francisco. They can keep going back there. They, they've got a big draw in Dallas. You know, we, when me and Marcus did that show, we were like talking about even 20 years ago, WWE wouldn't want to touch Texas because of Von Erics. You know, there was, there was still a, um, how can I put this, a negative connotation towards pro wrestling in Dallas. And, you know, now, it, it's kind of passed and you can go back to Dallas and you can get big houses and they did it um, for that show. It wasn't as big as it could have been, but they can build on that. And they put in a cooking show as well. The quality of New Japan shows is never going to be in doubt. I think it's how they sell it to their audience. And I think as well, they've learned lessons in, and they're quicker to learn lessons. Like, um, like earlier this summer, Chris Charlton was kind of like pushed sideways. Just do it just do commentary because you don't sound like a regular wrestling commentator. We want you to just do translations for us. And within three days of thousands of complaints that Chris Charlton wasn't doing color commentary anymore, he was back on color commentary. So, you know, there are none like WWE who will react to things slowly. New Japan can go, right, you made a mistake. Don't worry about it. We'll fix it. You know, which is a refreshing change from a wrestling company. No one's asking them to change the way that the direction of the company is going. Very rarely do you get, certainly casual fans complaining about the web in the same way people complain about WWE, but they do have, you know, there is an expectation that they will do things differently. And I think that's really where they need to sell stuff. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, and especially about the bit where you were talking about how, you know, they were trying to make shows that, that had Western wrestlers on because they were a Western audience. And, and, and that was a mistake because actually what the people were interested in was the fact that they were here to see, the main guys in New Japan who ultimately, you know, crudely are more exotic in that they don't get to see them hardly ever at all. And if, yeah, if you want to watch, you know, if it was actually one of the things that most bugged me about New Japan was that towards certainly about halfway, you know, 2016, 2017 time, I was watching that. I was like, there's, there's so many American wrestlers on this now. Um, mm. Even on Wrestle Kingdom, there was just, there was just an absolute glut of them. And I was just like, I, I don't want to see, Chris Jericho and and Cody and whoever else. I want to see, you know, Okada and Tanahashi and Ishii and Goto and all the others. You know, I don't. Those are the people I'm watching this for. Yeah. 
I don't want to see the American wrestlers. And I can only imagine that being even more frustrating when you've actually gone and bought a ticket to go watch New Japan <laughs> and then you're getting those guys. And you're like, well, that's not what I'm here for. Yeah. But I guess that's the same reason or one of the reasons why I think that they will struggle to continue to expand because the people that watch them right now are the people who want to go and see those matches to, to attract a wider audience in America, for example. Mm-hmm. They, they will need to integrate more American wrestlers and that's when you then lose the the difference between them and WWE. It is a key difference. Forget the style. Mm. These are just a different group of wrestlers. These are a group of wrestlers. And then and there is also a feeling, regardless of even Nakamura's defection, if you like, there is a feeling that these are wrestlers that are above going to WWE. You know, that yeah. WWE can't get to, almost. You know, you can't see Okada or Tanahashi ever being in WWE. They, they very well may do at one point, but it just doesn't, it feels like it's almost, it's always felt felt like this to me, that, that Japanese wrestling, there's all these, you know, all this talent in America that at one point WWE could go and pluck out of out of there and just get them, you know, this is the, the next big thing in mm. Ring of Honor or whatever, and they'll go get them at some point. It's always felt to me that New Japan's kind of, you can't get to those guys. The minute you employ more American wrestlers, the minute that changes. So, you know, I, I feel, I, that's why I kind of feel like it's very difficult. If it's going to happen, it will happen very slowly and it will take place over the next 20 years and beyond. Mm. I don't think it's something that will happen next, you know, in the next few years, we're not going to be saying New Japan is running this huge arena and they're getting, you know, 40,000 people watching. And, and not only that, the reason, another reason is because they won't put their major events there. You're not going to no. get the final of the G1 in London, are you? It's just not no. going to happen. So no. that's the other part of it. I mean, I think I think you can. I think you guarantee there will be more expansion and there'll be more foreign shows. But it's a bit like um, like the Jacksonville Jaguar home fans have been complaining for the last few years because the Jaguars play two home games in London because they're London's team as well. And you know, that, there's that kind of thing. Like if you take too many nights of the G1 away from Japanese fans, they're the ones that pay for everything. Yeah. You know, the excursions to Dallas is nice and everything, and it's good for publicity and stuff, and it helps you grow your US market, but you can't take away that 300-seater house show in Hokkaido because you'll piss off the fans that pay the most money to see you all the time. Yeah, and they're not just watching the G1, that one night on the G1 either. Oh. They're going back, you know, every single tour that New Japan do, they'll be going to that place and they'll mm. be hoping for those 300 people to turn up and they might start going, well, you're not bringing the big show to us. We're not going to go to night 12 of your, I don't know, um, trying to think of one of the... <laughs> exactly, yeah. We're not gonna, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, where, where really nothing is happening on the show and we know nothing is happening on this show. But mm. but we're going to you know so, you know, watch the company so yeah I, I think that's that is key yeah and I think that's what they've got to watch there I mean there is the WWE model of having a company within each country actually isn't bad from that point of view is you, WWE NXT UK does nothing to attack the draw of Monday Night Raw and SmackDown when they come on tour to the UK but it does give them an uh, incredible presence all the time in the country. Yeah, uh, and you know, and that's something that New Japan have started working on with the LA Dojo, and we'll see if that develops into something bigger. And the LA Dojo in the past has produced some great people like CM Punk and Daniel Bryan and uh, uh, Rocky Romero, who've been, you know, well, Rocky has been a company stalwart except for two tours with Noah because <laughs> yeah. 
uh, Simon and Oki were out of money. Um, but, you know, apart from those two tools we know it, he's been a company man for the last 15 years and is now like, you know, one of the senior road agents for the company. He looks after, he you know, doesn't just man manage for a Pingy 3K and do a commentary. He's a, he's kind of taking over Tiger Hattori's role as number one gopher for the booking crew. And he's in front office management now. So, you know, there is that, and that's another ear that New Japan have for Western wrestling fans and what Western wrestling fans want because they're picking up on people like Rocky who have got an incredible mind for the business and are doing the right things at the right time. Yeah, I think, uh, I think the other thing is obviously New Japan have always, their own sort of dojo system has always meant excursions across to other places in the world. I guess if they have a US setup, even if it's a small one, that's another place for those people to go. Um, which would make sense, you know, to have their own excursions go to their own places, um, where but perhaps where they learn a slightly different style of wrestling. Um, yeah. So I, that would make some sense. Um, yeah, as I said, I think I think it's it, it's got to the point now because we have the te because the distribution is out there and you can now watch any any promotion anywhere in the world. It does mean and does allow New Japan to do these tours abroad and make lots of money but i don't think it's going to go beyond what they're doing now because if you're into new japan by if you're not into new japan by now um i i just think you, you the only way they really pick up new fans is is on a very very gradual basis yeah which i don't necessarily think is a bad thing much the same with the ring of it's honor it's not a bad thing no no i think much the same with ring of honor it never seemed to go away no matter how dreadful they've been at times <laughs> um, yeah well I, I haven't paid i haven't paid attention to ring of honor for a long time and i actually think that the relationship with new japan whilst probably has been the thing that's kept them going in some respects because obviously wwe have pretty much raided their talent um has also been quite damaging for them because it's yeah. really made them look second best uh you know and then it's given new japan a way in it, is, it feels a bit like the 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 story of how basically um back in like 2004 or 5 or whatever it was i uh, um apple went to blockbuster and said you know what with every single video that you rent out give uh, a free um itunes song basically yeah mm. and so they did that and then blockbuster said yeah that's great we can offer you know added value to our customers so they do that those then customers of blockbuster would then sign up with iTunes, get their free song, and then iTunes started to offer videos. And yeah. they then had a database of all people that wanted videos and rented videos because they'd given yeah. those free. It's essentially a very similar thing. It's kind of like we've we've entered into your market through collaboration with you and offered you value for that by giving you, you know, Cardo or whoever to appear on your shows. But now those people have seen us, they want to see more of us and not so much of you. Um, yeah. So, yeah. and it's not uh, if you look at the CMLL New Japan relationship, which is kind of supposed to be on an even footing, that is a symbiotic relationship. CMLL go to a two week tour every year, the Japanese fans get to see their Mexican favorites, they watch the CMLL show every week on, on the CML streaming service. Uh, the Japanese guys love going down to Mexico and having a couple of tours down there. Um, they don't necessarily like going playing warehouses in the middle of Milwaukee. I'm not saying that they aren't fully enthused about the, the idea, but even like the Rev Pro relationship with New Japan seems a lot more even-handed in comparison to what the Ring of Honor relationship is with New Japan. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think so. And I think ultimately, 
America's the Golden Goose and New Japan would rather New Japan would rather take the Ring of Honor share of the American business than they would take the Rev Pro share of the UK business or the CMML share of the Mexican businesses. That simple. Yeah, I think as well, you know, um, New Japan aren't rude about it. They stick to the West Coast and they stick to the Southeast and Southwest. They're not going into the major markets of North America all the time, but it will become a day when that will happen. You know, of course and it will. yeah. And, you know, and it, that Ring of Honor tour at Kurikan is usually well attended, but it's not necessarily the best stuff you see at Kurikan, even from New Japan. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you know, but we'll see. Uh, is there anything else you would like to talk about on this world or the state of professional wrestling in 2019? Ben? Well, I mean, there's nothing, nothing massively spe- specific. I think the, the thing for me um, is, uh, I mean, obviously the way the WWE is, uh, some things in WWE, which I know is not your thing, James, but you mm. know, ultimately for me as somebody who's kind of taking a watching brief of wrestling rather than really looking at any detail, that's, that always comes up. Um, and and for me, the thing I found most interesting is the continuing development of WWE's supposed commitment to women's wrestling and mm-hmm. their broadening of that. I think, you know, we did touch on it at the beginning, but I, I think it's really interesting. Look, five years ago, let's be honest with ourselves, five years ago, we could not have seen the women main eventing WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think anyone who's saying they could is lying to themselves. I, I think that is that shows a degree of how far we've come but i I still think that most of it is still very much kind of ceremonial and quite um on the surface there's still a there's still a undercurrent of they're still not really being treated uh with the same seriousness um and with the same kind of um air of importance as most of the the male wrestling that's happening i think i think I would agree with you. I think Becky is, the others not so much. And that's no, like, that's not that they're singling Becky out, but she's the obvious one because she won the main event of WrestleMania against Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair. So the obvious thing to do is to pin it on her and hope she's broad enough shoulders to carry it, which she can do to an extent, but you can't, have, she needs supporting players. They need to be, she needs to look like she's beat somebody, you know? Mm-hmm. Like she did with Ronda Rousey, she Ronda Rousey was undefeated. She was a badass. She was built up to beat her. Now I'm not particularly a big fan of Ronda Rousey, but I do like you know click with the fact that she was a mainstream draw. She was like the Brock Lesnar for the women's division. She she did or do all those things that brought up the women's division in that mainstream eye. But where's the follow up? You know, yeah, if, that's it. If you if you go back to similar moments in wrestling history, Muhammad Ali at WrestleMania one. Well, the follow-up to that is Andre versus Hogan at the Pontiac Silverdome. You know, there's a two-year. You, you, Muhammad Ali comes in and Mr. T and all those celebrities at WrestleMania 1. The follow-up to that is that. Where's my follow-up to this main event from WrestleMania this year? Where are we going next? Where have you built this thing? You know, it's brilliant that they main evented and they deserved it. And it was the hottest angle in, this, in the wrestling industry at the time. And Becky was the one thing that made me look at highlights of Raw every Monday and SmackDown every Thursday or Tuesday wherever it was. <laughs> but, you know, I did actually want to watch WWE because of what Becky was doing, you know, and I did catch up on it. I did watch the we, the only show we've actually done a review of, full WWE show that we've done a review of, is the Evolution Women's Pay-Per-View that me and Chelsea reviewed because Chelsea was there and she wanted to go see it because obviously she's a WWE Women's fan. She's put this investment and time into that particular show. 
Um, and she doesn't watch as much wrestling as she used to for the same reason that you did. She got burnt out on it. And I'm guessing some of it would be disappointment that the follow-up didn't happen. You know, where's the next well, thing we're interested in? It's not just a follow-up, James. It's you know taking SummerSlam as an example. There were three women's matches on Summer, uh, SummerSlam. Mm. There were there were um, there were nine full matches on the on the main show. So that's mm. you know even that's an imbalance. And I know that sounds you know to some people that would sound crazy. It's like, well, you know, it can't always can't be fifty fifty. There aren't that many women you know wrestling. But ultimately, I I'd argue right now there's never been you know the follow-up for me to Becky Lynch beating ronda rousey at wrestlemania was would be to say all right smackdown is now women's only show and raw is now men owned show i i, I would have gone because then you could go you know what we have a set we have a separate whole promotion for both yeah you know both sexes we have a women's um not just division we have a women's promotion and we have a men's promotion and that some people might not like the separation necessarily because they might want to be able to watch both but at least then you'd say you'd be saying that we now have parity in terms of numbers. We have, you know, the tag, the women's tag team title can take a, 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 a greater importance because it is the only tag team title on this brand. The the women's title, the other women's titles can also take that that same precedent. They could have even introduced other women's titles. Um, and instead, you know, there's still the WWF Intercontinental United States championship is still the cruiserweight championship so there's still many more belts that you can win as a man there's still a much bigger roster that they've got as a male roster and i just think that for me after wrestlemania that's the next step is now we have parity in terms of numbers um mm. and we allow we also allow for the chance that more people will tune into smackdown because it's a woman's only show than for raw because at the moment there's still this kind of thinking of well the women wouldn't be able to do it on their own. The WrestleMania main event, and as great as that is, it uh, and, and this is going to sound a little bit controversial, is not as it's not as important as it would have been had it been the main event of WrestleMania 28, for example, mm. because it was not a pay per view. It was a subscription show, and therefore it didn't really matter what was in the main event. People are still going to watch it in their millions. Yeah. So mm. you couldn't point to that and go, see, there is there is an audience for women's wrestling. You couldn't really, you could point to it and say there is an audience, but you couldn't point to it and go, there is as big an audience for women's wrestling as there mm. is for men's wrestling. And I'm still of the opinion that if they'd have made that a straight singles match between Becky Lynch and between uh, and Ronda Rousey, rather than put Charlotte Flair in there as well, and also it had gone out on pay-per-view, it would have done huge monster numbers, but no mm. one can point to it doing that because it was on the network and not on a pay-per-view where the matches themselves sold the event rather than it be the event. So, you know, I just thought that would have been the way to go. You know what? Now let's really show we're committed to, to, to women's wrestling and, and just say, look, you've got your whole, you haven't just got a division. You've got a whole roster. This is, this is your roster. And, and, you know, let's see, let's see what, let's see what's possible. Let's, and not only that, but you'd, you'd then be also, you know, there'd be a writing team that would be forced to write multiple storylines for many, many different women, um, mm. which is still not really happening as often as I think it should be. And it's still a bit laboured. You know, the fact that, that the matter is that Summer, uh, SummerSlam has just gone past of the three matches. Trish Stratus was one of the people involved in those three matches. Now, that's bringing someone back from the past because presumably you haven't you don't feel you've got enough got you know, enough women right now who can be in that position. You know, again, I'd argue against that. So, 
yeah, for me, there's there are ways they could go further, and I, I don't think that I, I still think there is a reluctance to to go all in on this. And I think actually, for me, it's the women's wrestling has been the the most interesting part of the WWE product of the last mm. three or four years, possibly longer. Not just because of the match. It's not about the matches for me either. It's got nothing to do with the matches. It's just got to do with the, 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 for me, Becky Lynch and Sasha Banks have been the two most believable major stars in that company of that time. Um, Mm -hmm. At different times, you know, Sasha Banks, maybe earlier, it's, you know, 2014, 2015, 2016, and Becky Lynch in the last few years. But they have been, for me, the two centerpiece attraction stars of the WWE, the two that I've been most eager to see do well and, and get to the top because, for me, they are the most naturally um, natural stars of, of, uh, in WWE. And that would have set WWE apart in a way that they probably had never been before if they'd have just gone all in on, 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 the women's, um, on women's wrestling and said, this is your show, this is your roster this is your promotion effectively and we give you the same amount of pay-per-views as we give the men on raw that would have been that would have been great um so and i think the right way to go um but obviously wwe have not quite taken it to that that level (laughs) no and i think you know we've had big conversations this year about you know every once and everything is every two months i think i think it's scheduled to happen every two months somebody somebody on twitter goes and New Japan should have a women's division. And it's like, no, no, they shouldn't. What we should try and do is get the women's companies that are already in Japan much bigger because, you know, it doesn't necessarily work that way. And I think I think WWE has that opportunity to do it and do it correctly. And it's something that would, again, make them different from the competition, which isn't, it's a major shift, but it isn't un, impossible, is it? It's doable and it makes sense to, for those reasons you've just listed. Well, I think I think when as long as you have, unless you have a completely gender neutral wrestling promotion, which I think most places are still quite a long way from even coming close to being able to do. Mm. Um, and I don't, I'm not sure, I'm I'm not sure how successful it'd be. I don't know, it wouldn't be, but I just I just don't know. Um, mm. Until you've got that, if you have men and women on the same show, in more often more often than not, people are going to look at the women as a women's division. And mm. the men being everything else, so almost yeah. being that they've got a tag team division, and then you've got a women's division, and that shouldn't be the way it is. It should be here's the women's roster, and within that you've got a tag division, a singles division, a secondary title division, a six man, a six woman tag division, for example. That might work. I don't know something else like that. Um, so that's the difference for me. Is that if New Japan introduced a women's title, you then have a women's division which was only seen as important as, say, the six-man tag titles or the, the junior heavyweight tag titles or, you know, rather than... And, and, and then it's like, well, that's not the same. The, the women's title should be, should be as important as the main men's, men's title. They should both be world championships, yeah. um, but for the two different um, sexes. And then you should have underneath that the same kind of tag, uh, same titles that you have but on yeah. both sides of the fence. Yeah, exactly. I think it's, I think it, we get kind of lost in like seeing, you know, representation is, is great, but it's still got to be the right amount of representation and the representation that sits the situation and the culture of where you're trying to work to the best advantage of the future. It's not about tomorrow. You know, I kind of want to get where I can today to get more tomorrow. That's the way I kind of work. And I, I worry when people want it everything today, because they understand that, you know, for some people, it's not going to be that easy to change things. 
And, you know, I also don't want to see the end of the industry just because we've made this massive clangor with a big move as well. So, you know, it's it's difficult to to quantify these changes, but they're doable. They're not the million miles away, you know, and we, we have this big conversation about women's wrestling can draw and we've proven that it can draw in the past and it will draw again in the future. So just have some faith in it. Well, you know, look, WWE have just a couple of months ago brought back Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff because mm. their their ratings were in the toilet. Um, they, and that's because they they are doing effectively the same things that they've been doing for fifteen years, really. And this isn't what they do now is not really any different to what they were doing in two thousand and five. Basically, mm. <clears throat> it's maybe a little bit more family friendly, but it's still very similar in terms of the style of wrestling, in terms of the storyline, the way the storylines play out. If w, you know, WWE, when they have been majorly successful is when they've tried to do something completely different to stand out and change the, change the business. They did it in the mid-1980s, which is why they were able to become a national promotion. They changed the style of what pro wrestling was in a way that a lot of people didn't like, especially traditionalists. But it made millions and millions and millions of dollars and made WWF the biggest wrestling promotion in the world. They did it again in the late 90s with the harder edge format that they put in place at that point. And again, traditionalists didn't like it. And again, lots of people didn't like it, but it set them apart. It made them different. It, 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 it took a risk and it absolutely paid off because it was something new and vibrant and exciting. That's what I think they could be doing with women. And they could have been doing it for all of the time we've been doing this podcast. They could have been mm. doing that. Um, and they've just and there are people that won't like it. There are traditionalists that won't like it. But I think it would be the thing that would really it would it would just open up a whole. It would be completely different to anything that we've seen in mainstream wrestling. Would be a completely women um, centered um, product. And I'm I'm almost certain that it would be a major hit, especially if they were then allied that to some really good um some really good writing but the first thing you have to do is is break the mold and make that change and that for me would have been the biggest change and they could have, I, I genuinely believe they could have done this in 2016 had they launched sasha banks in the way that they could have done you mm. know, that could have happened then it could mm. still happen now because becky lynch is still a major player and certainly with ronda rousey's um involvement back at wrestlemania that would have been a really good launching point um so that that's the way i see it is that actually it's it's a way to change what the people what people perceive as being the norm in pro wrestling that's always worked wonders for wwf wwe in the, in the past there's no reason it couldn't happen again well, there you go i think we've pretty much got everything covered haven't we then yeah I, th- I guess so yeah i guess so um <laughs> absolutely yeah i can't imagine there's too much else to to talk about um no, an just, hour and uh, minutes. <laughs> yeah, I, well, you know, I, I just go on forever, don't I? So uh, apologies. <laughs> you're going to have to cut me off, or I'll, I will keep talking, even though I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you talk very eloquently, and you are a superstar of wrestling analysis. Thank you very much for everything you've done for the Troopany Show the last five years, Ben. No, thank you, James. And I said, you know, honestly, the, the, the true. The, the truth is, is that of all the things that we, that, you know, we did back in the day, this is this show. The fact that it's still going and it's going in the way it's going, and the fact that you can, it's still a bit of a shapeshifter, and that it can do different things at different times. And what you've made it, and what the way you've pushed the focus of it, um, is is excellent, and it's really amazing to see. So, you know, I I, I really hope that in five years' time, we're doing the tenth anniversary of the True Penny Show 
um, that would be, you know, that would be something very, very special indeed. I hope so too. I will, I will say that. Well, you can find Ben on Twitter at Tink Holloway. Is there any other social media you do, Ben? Uh, I've been toying as to whether or not to say this, but I am also doing a second Twitter account at the moment. I haven't, I haven't really, I haven't really um, revealed it before. As, uh, um, oh. But basically, I'm doing a Twitter account. Which the the one way I'm still interacting with wrestling is I am watching. I'm, I'm doing. I have a little project, and it's a ridiculous project. I started about two years ago. And it is basically, I'm trying to watch every single match that's on the WWE Network in chronological order. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like doing things by halves. And I thought, and, and basically it came about because one day I was like, oh, I don't know what to watch. Like, I want to watch something random. Uh, and I just, I just can't do random. So I just thought, you know what? I found there's a Reddit account. Someone's listed every single video that's on the network in chronological order. And I thought, I'll start working my way through this. So I started doing that. I, I was I've done it to, for two years. The, uh, um, I'm up to match one thousand four hundred and four or something crazy. Um, nineteen eighty, the end of nineteen eighty one. I've got up to. Um, wow. And um, yeah, so I, my my Twitter account is I think it's called it's called Hoss WWE Network. Um, strange right. name, I know, but that's what it is. Um, uh, yeah, that's it, Hoss WWE Network. And it's just me, you know, listing the matches I've watched and occasionally making comments about them. It's not, it's quite dry, I think, as I said, most of the time it's just me <laughs> listing matches. Um, but it's, but, you know, and I've taken breaks here and there, not like consistently done it over those two years. I've taken like six months breaks. Because believe me, some of this stuff is absolutely atrocious. <laughs> um, but, um, but I'm really enjoying it. It's been, it's been kind of a bit different. Um, it's just allowed me to watch wrestling from a long time ago, quietly without, you know, without having to sort of interact too much with people about it, um, yeah. and uh, yeah, so it's suiting me at the moment. It's, it's it's replaced my other wrestling viewing. That's why I'm watching at the moment. So I've watched about seventy, I think seventy nine Johnny Rods matches. I was um, just about to say how many Johnny Rods matches have you watched? I think I've watched about yeah about seventy nine of them. Uh, and um, but no, there's been some good things about it as well. So like for example, um, I've discovered Bruno Sammartino during that time. In a way that I'd never done before, like it's really taken on a new kind of interest in his career and the things he's done, and 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 other things as well. I won't go into detail, but anyway, so that's maybe something you could follow me on if 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 you fancied something that was not. I can't imagine being particularly entertaining, but it's out there anyway. You know, when we said we're going to look at the entire history of Japanese professional wrestling, and you said <laughs> you're taking on a bit much there, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, the truth is, I don't really imagine I'll ever catch up. You know, I'm like, no, I, the, the first video on the WWE Network is from 1952, okay? okay. Um, it's a Lou Says match um, from, like, te I think from Texas Wrestling from a long, long time ago. Mm. Um, there, obviously, I'm up to the end of 1981, so I've got, what, 29, is that right? 39, 29 yeah. years. Um, yeah. 29 years in two years, but... The volume of matches on the network suddenly gets exponentially bigger. <laughs> absolutely. So I think there are about three hundred and fifty odd matches from nineteen eighty one. Because of a quirk of the way WWE WWE has uploaded their shows over time, I've actually already watched about the same amount of matches from nineteen eighty two. Um, it's a bit complicated, but trust me, right. I wasn't. I didn't do it in the wrong order. It just it's just the way that they just uploaded. The they uploaded stuff after I'd watched stuff in the future, if you like. Um, <laughs> so as a consequence, 
Uh, I've watched about 350 matches already from 1982, but there's still another, I, I, I reckon about another 250 I've got to watch. So you can see how quickly it's exponentially rising as we go into the sort of early to mid 80s. So I don't imagine I'll ever catch up, but yeah, I'm having a good, good time kind of trying. So is, it, is it just WWE matches? No, no. So I've watched, as I said, I've watched like everything. So I've watched everything on the network. So basically, um, I try and avoid anything where, because so, in one of the sections, they just have like interviews sometimes. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's been a couple where it's just Andre the Giant interview, for example. But I've watched, so far, I've watched every episode of Mid-South Wrestling up to the end of 82, every World Class Championship Wrestling show up to the end of 82, and every Mid-Atlantic show up to the end of 81. Um I've watched about 150 episodes of WWF All-Star Wrestling, and that was an absolute chore, I'm not going to lie. Um, I've watched all the MSG shows that are available up to the end of 1982. Um, I've watched... So there's a few things from AWA. There's a few few things from, um, from uh, sort of Texas Wrestling before WCCW. Mm. So, uh, WCCW. Um, so yeah, basically everything that's on there, I've watched every match from every promotion up to the end of, well, up to the end of 81, but with quite a lot of 82 matches in there as well. Wow. Yeah, is... I, I've outed myself now, but that's what I'm doing. So that's just a little thing that I'm doing. You know, the truth is I, I could tomorrow turn around and say, well, I'm going to stop this for three months and not, not touch it. <laughs> but, but that's not likely to happen because at the moment I'm, I'm going quite fast through it. So, uh, Yeah. That's, that's, that's one thing you can follow me on if you, if you really fancy something a bit weird. <laughs> there you go. Uh, you can find me at Sheriff Lone Star as ever on Twitter. You can find the show Troopany Show on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook at The Troopany Show and on Patreon where you can keep The Troopany Show free forever for everyone. Please talk to our supporters. That would be Indie Empire Magazine. Edition 3 will be out soon. That has make a season Mako Satamora on the front cover and Joey Ryan on the back cover where he belongs. <laughs> And um, we've looked at all sorts of stuff. Um, we have some things uh, covering the Make Us, uh, the Semi Ghost Tour in the UK. There's an interview with Jerry Ryan. There's, an inter- there's a center spread of Jay White, if you're into that kind of thing. Um, also, you can go to powerslam.tv, where you can use our code MULLETWATCH to get a free month off of Powerslam TV, where they cover things like Progress and Riff Pro and uh, lots of classic message and Sendai Girls as well. So take care. Have a listen to their promo, which I'll pour in here, because I forgot that they've actually written this promo now. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv. Thank you very much for listening to us for five years. Thank you very much to my broadcast colleague, Ben Spindler, today. And please, please come back. In a couple of weeks' time, we'll be talking to the rest of the crew because they're currently working on their five biggest matches and moments. Oh, well, the biggest matches and moments of the last five years that they've come up with. So all of the crew, hopefully, as many of them we can get together, will be talking about those matches 
in an episode to come. And we, of course, will have uh, coverage of that Copper Box match from uh, Royal Quest from New Japan Pro Wrestling in the coming weeks as well. Take care, and thank you very much for being Troopany Show listeners. We'll see you soon. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.